Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. If you're looking to add value to all your connections, tune in to marketing legend Jay Abraham as he gets interviewed by Travis Chappell on the Build Your Network podcast. Listen in and enjoy. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with the legend himself, Jay Abraham. Jay, the $21.7 billion man and highest paid marketing consultant, is a proven business leader and top executive coach in the United States. As founder and CEO of the Abraham Group Incorporated, Jay has spent his entire career solving complex problems and fixing underperforming businesses. He has significantly increased the bottom lines of over 10,000 clients in more than 1,000 industries and over 7,200 sub-industries worldwide. Jay has dealt with virtually every type of business scenario and issue. He studied solved almost every type of business question, challenge, and opportunity. Guys, Jay is the legend when it comes to anything and all things marketing. He has literally consulted the top people and businesses in the world and uh, has made an incredible, incredible living doing it. Can't wait to have this conversation with him. But first, really quickly, if you are yourself a seven-figure plus entrepreneur and you know the impact that a podcast could have on your business, helping you build credibility, helping you build authority with the people that you're talking to, your ideal clients, but you just don't have the time or the team or resources to dedicate to figure out how 
how to actually get the podcast out into the world, then have me and my team build that for you. Just head over to travischapelcom slash make my podcast. There's a quick application there and we'll jump on a call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. That way you can focus on what you're good at, which is servicing your clients. And we can focus on what we're good at, which is building world-class podcasts. Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show and joining me today. My pleasure. I think this will be fun. Yes, sir. I want to jump right in and start building some context for like the three people out there who haven't heard about you and don't know who you are. Let's take it way back here, Jay. I'm talking like junior high Jay. Talk to me about family life and school and all that kind of stuff. What was life like growing up for Jay Abraham? It was interesting. My parents were very, very loving. My dad was a salesperson. We didn't really have a lot of money, but we didn't really know it. We lived in a a modest, low-income area, but it didn't really matter because nobody really was aware of that. We would walk uh, a long way to get to a bus to go to school. We had a literally a vacant lot with no grass that we played baseball on. We had to clean the glass out of it all the time. My dad had one of the low-income military preferred-priced houses, and we had a. uh, I remember sitting in the driveway. The driveway was all gravel. And I'll remember when I was a kid, one day I decided I wanted to do weightlifting and I kept, I bought the cheapest set because I had no money, but I kept putting more and more weights on. And I was about 16 and I was trying to do military presses with 200 pounds and I slipped and fell into the wall and knocked my parents' wall off and they got really mad. And I switched to (laughs) pull-ups and bought one of those pull-up bars you screw into the the door yeah. and right. I broke the doorway because it split it and they got mad and then I had to start just doing push-ups so <laughs> but yeah I, I had a I had a, an interesting life and it was a loving life I mean I wish I had more colorful things but you know it, it just was a, a nice a nice family upbringing you not not yeah. you were anything but prosperous but it was it, you know it was loving and I lived in a neighborhood with nice people yeah, right. Talk to me about how school was for you. Was it something that you found to be exciting or easy or difficult? Or? Well, I'm a poster boy today for adult, probably ADD, ADHD. And <laughs> it was very hard in school because I would my mind would always sort of go rogue on me. So I was a good student, but only if I read everything I had to read three times. First mm-hmm. time, I wouldn't pay attention. The second time, I would sort of relate. And the third time it would sink in, but it was arduous because I'd have to start at three in the afternoon and I'd be on my third cycle, an iterative cycle at about 11 o'clock. But whenever I did that, I would do very well. I got bored in my senior year and I didn't do as well. And I was into a creative writing class, which is ironic. I failed. I think they finally gave me a D so I would pass, but <laughs> I would turn on everything on the back of used paper and the teacher felt like that was disrespectful and she didn't read anything I ever sent in. So that was interesting. But I went to middle-class high school. I was not one of the most, I was very heavy when I was younger and it was very fascinating because nobody would give my group and I the time of day because we looked like, did you ever see the movie Animal House? Uh, No, I didn't, but I've seen enough of it to know what you're talking about though, yes. Well, if you see the beginning of it, there's this dysfunctional group of people that gets relegated to the corner. And I was in that kind of a group until my senior year. And then I got really thin and, and uh, let's call it viable. And then all the people that wouldn't give me the time of day did. And I found that really interesting in the hypocrisy of life. <laughs> You're judged <laughs> yeah, no more kidding. from physicality and superficiality than you are depth and meaning. 
Yeah, you're definitely judged by the cover, not yeah, by the content of the book. But it was fascinating. But I, yeah, I had a pretty interesting high school. It was, you know, not horribly eventful. I was the manager of the basketball team and got to to clean the jock straps and <laughs> and you know be the last one out at night when everyone else had left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was interesting training. Yeah. So after high school, then college, no college. What was the career? What was the path uh, for you? I got married at the first time. I've been married uh, many times. I don't say that with pride, but I got married the first time at age 18. I have no formal education. I had the needs of somebody about 40 when I was 20 because I had two kids and nobody wow. cared. So I was thrust into the the sobriety and, and the, the grim reality of the work. Adulthood. Yeah, very <laughs> early in my life. Yeah. So from no skills, you know, no education, no background that would tell anybody that you would end up where you are today, being thrust into the workforce. What was the differentiator, Jay? What was the thing that made you become the person that you are now? And how did you even get into that world? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. It was quite accidental. I would call myself the accidental marketing expert. And it happened very interesting, Travis. So I couldn't get real jobs. The only people that would give me opportunity were really crazy entrepreneurs who wouldn't give me salary, but they'd give me a desk and a phone or maybe sometimes just a phone and no desk and a chair. And I got a piece of whatever I created. Mm, And when you only eat when you earn and you only earn when you produce, you find out what works and what doesn't very quickly. But I had a very low boredom and I would jump since I was only paid on variable. I could have three full-time jobs. Nobody had any real control over me. 
And I would jump frequently from one industry, not just job, to another, to another. Concurrently, I might be in three industries at the same time, working Mm. morning, afternoon, evening. And I made a realization about the 10th cumulative industry that people in one industry, Travis, don't have a clue how people in another industry think, market, strategize, business model, distribute. channels, any of those things. And I was able very quickly to take very common approaches that I'd learned from different industries and integrate them together into hybrids and apply them to industries that had never seen them. And I all of a sudden was a superstar overnight. And I went, wow, that's really cool. So I started doing more of that, learning more about other industries, combining them into hybrids, taking the industries that didn't know them. And I became the equivalent of the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. So, and all this was done in your 20s? Started in my 20s. And then as I got older, I evolved to more cool things. By the time I was in my early 30s, I was already reasonably established. We'd done Icy Hot and grown it massively from nothing. I did Entrepreneur Magazine. And then I got into, in the early 30s, into the the investment newsletter business when it was first taking off and when gold became first legalized. And I had marketing prowess that they didn't. And I was very, very popular and successful. And then from that, I went to the seminar business and I got very big in the seminar business for a number of years. And then I went into the conference call, group training business. And we did that very well for a while. And then I got tired of it and stopped. And then we just did high-end clients and things like that. But it's evolved. Yeah, no kidding. So you were always, just always had the mind of a marketer. It seems like even when you were younger, it seemed like you were selling for this person and that person and that person, just trying to generate money here and there. But then it actually turned into, because you developed a real skill set to market, where you started being able to sell your marketing advice as a consultant, right? Yeah, but I think if you want to get into the foundation, I would say that I always had an insatiable curiosity about how things work. If this is the output, what was the input? What got to this? So here's a sale. How did this sale occur? And I would really work hard to understand the revenue generating mechanisms of different businesses and industries. And then I would try to process. And after a while, I gained a very just sort of an automatic understanding. And it became where I could just combine all kinds of elements from all kinds of experiences. And then every time I met anybody, I would become very good at what I'll call Socratic interviewing. And very honestly, I got to the point where in an hour I could distill out of somebody the essence of the whole industry, how it worked, how it functioned, how they sold, how they marketed, what their business models were, what their competitors did. And I could process that. So I became very good at interviewing people on planes and at parties. And I would process and I just had a hopeless and a very, very curious type of a curiosity where I just want to know everything I could about everything I could. And it became very useful as I got older. Tell us a story about a time where you actually went into a new industry and introduced a technique or tactic that they had never seen before. And I'm sure you have hundreds of these types of stories, but I'd like to hear a specific example. I'll give you three examples and I'll go in very quick. Even better. So we rekindled something from the 30s. When I did Icy Hot, we had an old line company that was almost dead. It was doing $20,000. And the guy that owned it bought it out of almost bankruptcy. It was almost dead, but it had been around a long time. We were going to just use some of the assets. 
but he did an analysis and he, he looked at what's called marginal net worth lifetime value. We were into lifetime value back in the late 60s, early 70s. And he realized that every time he got 10 people to spend $3 one time, eight of them spent $3 every month fundamentally for life or until somebody came up with a cure for arthritis or bursitis. And out of the eight that did that, four of them bought something else every month. And out of the four of them, two of them bought in bulk twice a month. It turned out that every time he got 10 $3 buyers, first time he, he averaged $50 a person in revenue a year. And we used that awareness to go all over the country figuratively and set up a thousand radio stations, television stations, publications, magazines, every kind of distribution network we could. And we got them all to allow us to use their unsold advertising space to run our product. And we let them keep all the money and they thought we were crazy, but every time we let them keep $3, we were making, on average, $47 in year one on that person. And we built a 500000 buyer base in about, I don't know, I think it was 12 or 13 months. That was pretty cool. Wow. Entrepreneur Magazine was equally as fascinating. When I got there, it was not a magazine per se. It was a magazine formatted membership. It was $100 a year to be a member of International Entrepreneurs Association. And as a member, you got some, you got a plaque, you got some discount buying cards, you got some other hoopla, but what you got every month was a magazine formatted publication. And in the middle of it, every month was a 20 to 30 page article on an emerging small business opportunity. Toot up shops, oil change shops, uh, yogurt shops, uh, depends on what you know, what the concept du jour was that month. And at the end of the month, that would just, that article would go into archive. And when I got there, we had about a hundred articles that were in archive and most of them were evergreen. They were things that were still very relevant. And our articles, Travis would chronicle things like, what's the risk? What's the reward? What's the investment? What do you do if you want to do it yourself? Who are the best franchisers? Low investment, high investment, high income, low income, stability factor. And I took a bunch of them and we added some boilerplate to each one and we turned them into startup manuals. And we made we were doing about a million dollars a year from the membership, but in the first year I was there, we sold nine million dollars of startup manuals on the back end, and then we had so many startup manuals that we created that we were able to assemble them in terms of a categories: food related, low investment, service, mm-hmm. automotive, personal services, and then we created something called the Entrepreneurs Institute, and they would be collections of something like. 10 or 15 different reports on one industry or one category that we would sell for $200 and it was almost all profit. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Then I did one other thing that was, I made a lot of things, but I did one other thing that was pretty cool. I got into the newsletter business before um, dating myself, but before the internet. And there were a ton of financial newsletters out there and they would sell for $200 a piece, $500 a piece. And they were physical newsletter. You'd get usually once a month, sometimes twice, uh, very rarely less than that. And these newsletters were started by some very bright people who were terrible marketers. And I was a good marketer. (laughs) I wasn't as bright a person, but I was a good marketer. And the industry, this is fascinating, the industry was based on everybody renting each other's names and mailing to one another. So one of my colleagues, Brian, is watching this. So I could rent Brian's names and mail them. Brian could rent my names. I would rent Travis's names. Travis would rent mine. And back then it cost about 65 cents in the mail to do a mailing, including renting a mailing list, the postage, the printing, everything else. 
And most people were pretty able it with successful mailings to break even, including recoupment of the hard cost of fulfillment, which back then was about $6. I might give you more than you want, but it's a cool story. But none of these newsletter publishers ever did anything with their newsletter other than ship it out. And the reason is that they had a very rigid and a very linear reference to what an insert was. An insert is something that is carried inside the newsletter. They thought of an insert as a one-sided eight and a half and 11 printed ad, like an ad would be in a magazine. Mm -hmm. And the newsletter industry was based on sending out 16, 20, 24 page letters, very long letters, dense with copy. And that's what sold a $200 newsletter or a $500 newsletter. But the newsletter publishers, every time they tried to make money sticking something inside, they would try to come up with just one side, one page, and it would not pull well. So they had a very low sense of the viability and the worth of an insert. So most didn't do it. I was very involved in the business, and I've always been very good at seeing correlations, implications, you know, anomalies. And I thought, well, gee, this is an industry where if I rent your name, you met my name, we're going to break even at 65 cents. I could take your promotion, Travis. I could reduce it down from 16 pages to an eight page insert by doing smaller type and not having white space, just using coloration to, you know, to space it. I could stick it in my newsletter It would only cost five cents to print. And because the weight wasn't over, it didn't cost anything else to send it. Mm. And if you're breaking even at 65 cents in the mail, if it only cost me five cents in your newsletter, it would make sense to me that I'm going to make 60 cents for everyone I put in your newsletter. But then I thought, but it gets a little better. Even if you don't endorse whatever comes in your newsletter, the fact that it comes in your newsletter has the implication that it's endorsed, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. So I I did the math and I thought, I can't be wrong on this. So I went out and I bought the rights to everybody's newsletter to do inserts. And all I did was I went to everybody and I said, can I take your mailing piece? Can I reduce it down and stick it in other people's and give you what you would get, which would just be the $6 to fulfill and keep the rest? And they all said, yes, I made $500,000 the first week because I saw what I'll call marketing arbitrage. I don't know if that's too esoteric or if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I've done lots of things like that. I mean, I, I had a client in, sort of fun story, I had a client in Australia once early in the in the process of selling CRM systems, and they had a very expensive one, and they used to run ads in all the trade magazines. They would spend about $100,000 a month and get about 1,000 leads, and they would sell 3%. And they made enough money that it was fine. It was very expensive. But when I got with them, I said, geez, you're not selling 97%. So you're wasting $97,000 on people that are responding. And and CRM is not an exciting concept. (laughs) Someone to respond means they probably had the need of something. But yours, yours was either too expensive, too complex, too many bells and whistles. But I said, if you found a lesser price and a lesser complex one, you could probably sell a lot of those people. And they said, well, we don't have one. And I said, somebody does. Let's find it. Let's get a private label deal, add a couple of our own stuff. We did that. And we started making more money on the people we normally wouldn't have sold than we did on the ones we did. But I used to do things like that all the time. <laughs> Just a, It's looking at correlation. Out of curiosity, Jay, how much of your life do you think you've spent just like thinking 
and strategizing? Do these ideas pop into your head or do you like really take time to sit and examine and look at every single inner workings of a company before these things start shouting out? Like, is it just like standing in the shower, an idea pops in the head? Like, what's your process to get to some of these conclusions? It has evolved or devolved. I don't know which one is is better. (laughs) When I was younger, it was intuitive. I didn't really understand. Then I got clarity from some experts that I was able to to either pay or mentor in and things made sense and I understood the drivers of things. And then I started creating methodology because I would start analyzing what I had done and trying to codify it. And I created the three ways to grow a business model, the power parthenon, the strategy preeminence, the nine drivers, uh, sticking point solutions, and that became very formalized. And that was in in methodology. As far as strategies and concepts, they just sort of came and they would come more and more the more diverse expanse of industries I became exposed to. Hmm. And there was a time when I spent a lot of time thinking. For the last, I'm older than you, obviously, by a big gap. I have spent the last five years, almost 10, 12 hours a day, serving high-paying, very complex clients around the world who come to me to solve Gordian knots. And the good news is I can do it in real time. The bad news is I've been so busy that I haven't taken a lot of contemplative and, and call thinking time. Yeah, I believe I was given the, the benefit of learning what's called deep concentrated thinking. And most people can't go below the surface. It's painful to stay with a thought deeper and try to figure out the implications, the correlations, you know, the, the different forks in the road. There's a disciplined process, I think, to to strategic thinking, to critical thinking, to consequential thinking. All of them are, are a bit different. And I think you've got to be able to expand past whatever your comfort zone is to do it. Yeah. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that process really quickly? Sure. Is that something so, you can do quickly? <laughs> thinking means taking a concept and keeping going deeper and deeper and not stopping. For example, I have an office. Can you see out that window? Yep. Yes, sir. It's a runway of of a private airport. It's very nice. One of the nicest airports in uh, Southern California. And I look at airplanes. I look at it and I don't see an airplane take off. I wonder who's in it. I wonder where they're going. I wonder who's fixed it. I wonder who's who's certifying it. I wonder if that person's tired today, if he forgets to put a screw or a bolt on. I wonder how quickly they have to refuel. I wonder all kinds of things that fascinate me. We did a program one time called Do Something Different. For 13 weeks, I made people every week do one thing out of their comfort zone. For example, if you if your process and regimen every day, Travis, is getting up, going to the bathroom, taking a shower, having a cup of coffee, reading the paper, or going online, and then getting dressed and typically going to work in the pre-COVID days, I would have you still go to the bathroom because you don't want to avoid that, but do everything else opposite. If you normally drive to work down the, the highway, go down the side streets and pay attention and then think about what different experiences, observations, feelings you had and share it. And I would do all kinds of things like that just to break people into thinking differently. Or when you yeah. drive down, you know, I go to a grocery and I'll just see a grocery. I wonder how do they, how do they do logistics? How do they, how do they restock? How do they know whether it's six SKUs or four? Why? What do they test? I've learned probably more than is healthy because you keep thinking way beyond the outer periphery of something and you look yeah, at all sure. the drivers. It can certainly become an obstacle to getting things done rather than yeah, yeah. a mode of getting things done. Yeah, yeah. It's, sure. a very, it's a very fine line. 
Um, Well, Jay, I want to be respectful of your time. I do want to talk with you a little bit about relationships and networking. I know that's been something that's been huge for you throughout your career. The question that I ask everybody that comes on the show to get this conversation headed in that direction is this, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Wow. I don't know if one or the other, if you want to be truthful, I don't know that you can separate. I mean, what you know is very powerful, but if you can't deploy it, (laughs) it's sort of a pyrrhic victory, isn't it, Travis? Yeah, right. And who you know, you can know some of the coolest people in the world, but if you don't have value that is exchangeable for some form of compensation, whether it's financial, whether it's psychic, whether it's connectivity, then that's pretty worthless. I I would say you probably have to have the right balance of both. And that balance is probably dynamic depending on what your outcome is. Yeah, sure. What if I gave you the answer you want? That's why I leave it open-ended. I like to hear what people say. I mean, I've been very blessed in my life. I've had some of the greatest mentors, benefactors, clients who I learned from. I've been very blessed. I've gotten to hang out with people way, way above my intellectual or pay grade. And that's been, I think, a function because they found me incomparably interesting. But the most interesting people in the world, if you want to tell people how to have great relationships, are the ones that are the most interested. Me telling you all about me isn't going to be as powerful as me learning all about you. Yeah. I mean, I've had many experiences where I've spent 99% of a conversation just asking really interesting questions about the other person that, and telling them nothing about me. And I have people say, you're the most interesting person in the world. And I've told them nothing about myself. And I think that part of the, the misunderstanding about networks, connections, relationships in business or otherwise is that it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the other person. But yeah. I think value creation, far too many people go, oh, how can I add value to you? Well, that means the fact that you're asking is <laughs> in itself the first mistake, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How about don't ask me that thing. question? Number one, don't ask that yeah, question. But, anymore. But that's the mantra of the typical <laughs> networker. Hey, yeah, Travis, right. how can I add value to you? I mean, Jesus. Yeah. There's no question that's more attached than that question right there. Like if you're going to help them, there's going to be an attachment at the end of it. There's going to be another ask if you if you give them a way to add value to you. I think that the greatest, I mean, just you didn't ask the question, but I'll answer a question that was not asked. If you ask me what the greatest power of connectivity, I would say it is the ability to ask meaningful, relevant, and progressive questions. And then the second attribute would be the ability to listen and acknowledge because most people don't hear anything. They're so busy, Travis, queuing up what they want to say. Right. I used to do an exercise where people would say, you meet someone, they go, say, how are you? And I would say, geez, you know, my shoulder hurts. And, you know, I basically, I'd list a plethora of problems and they say, great. Because they didn't listen. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see if anybody listened. And most right. times, they're so busy, they're not hearing what you're saying because they want to talk. 
That has been one of the biggest blessings, external, non-expected blessings of starting a podcast, honestly, Jay, has been just having to work on your ability to ask good questions. And it bleeds into every single part of, of my career at this point, not just asking questions on an interview format like this, but in general, having more genuine curiosity and interest in the way that people live their lives has been a, a huge, huge blessing, cherry on top of doing what I get to do on a daily basis as well. That's wonderful. And I think probably one of the most, one of the quintessent ultimate or quintultimate, whatever the word is, fulfillments. But I think I learned uh, Socratic interviewing years ago. And I also realized that every human being has meaning and fascination mm. and, and differing perspectives. And, and it's really, a, it's an exhilarating process to try to discover how many different realities exist around us. Yes, I totally agree with that. I wanted to ask you this question, Jay, I'd be remiss if I didn't get to it. Who are a few of the people that you've had in your life, in your career that really came alongside you in a mentorship capacity, but also maybe in a client capacity, people that you've worked with, people that you've mentored, who are just like a couple people that stick out to you as being huge impacts on, on your life personally? I would say I've been blessed by a lot. When I was starting out, when I worked in Entrepreneur Magazine, they let me trade advertising for experts and I brought all the kinds of experts, famed marketing people, iconic people. Then I got into the newsletter business and I hung out with all the prominent investment advisors, economists, and people in investing. Then in the early 90s, I got involved helping Tony Robbins and he and I built a nice relationship. And then I got, when I wrote my first book, the deceased Stephen Covey was a benefactor to me. All kinds of people that were prominent authors, experts became my friends. And then I got involved in helping people in some of the real emerging areas. Uh, the number one guy in the world in Six Sigma is a friend. The number one guy in multivariable testing is a friend. The number one guy in constraint theory is a friend. I mean, I got lots of people like that. I mean, I got to travel... 80 or 90 times, not totally around the world, but I've been to Singapore 30 times, China 30 times, Japan 20 times, Malaysia, Italy. And, and every time I get to meet just wonderful people, both entrepreneurs and just, you know, the populace. And that's been really great. I'm friends with some, a uh, couple of really high end hedge fund people, and they're really pretty wild and interesting. Mm. It's interesting. I started out as a performance consultant. Then I became very big in training back when it was really a huge business. We used to do every month, 600 to a thousand people at five grand a piece. And we used to do $25,000 makeovers in China through translation. And then I stopped and I do almost nothing in the information marketing world anymore. But I think some of them are interesting people. I've tended to go with really eclectic entrepreneurs. And I've been blessed to hang out. I mean, I've helped Damon John for nine, 10 years, and I find him to be really a charming, authentic person. Dave Asprey from Bulletproof Coffee, I find to be a very inventive person. I've been blessed. I have so many relationships that it becomes almost uh, a haze, but it's a very good haze. It's been, I've been just blessed by having high quality people with a lot of integrity, great values and unique belief systems and perspectives. And it's been a melting pot of, of sort of 
through osmosis, really gaining all kinds of understandings and insights, Travis. How have those relationships affected your life as a whole in terms of if you view life from a 30,000 foot blimp view of all the things that matter or are important or bring fulfillment to a certain extent, where would relationships rank in that hierarchy? I think relationships are probably ultimately the lifeblood of the human condition. Hmm. When somebody taught me, I mean, I've been blessed by lots of people. Somebody taught me that it's a really cool concept. I'll share it. and It's universal. So anytime you interact with anyone, anywhere, for any reason, no matter where they are on the socioeconomic plane, your job is to make their life better off because you were in it. That's been a driving thought. But secondly, I try to learn, gain, benefit, not selfishly, but meaningfully. Meaningfully is a better word than selfishly. From every interaction, when I have time, when I'm done with this conversation with you, If I have the time, if I don't have a scheduled call, I will spend 10 minutes saying, what did I just experience from that? And I will ask myself in many different dimensions. I want to know, what did I listen and hear that I really admired from Travis? Questions you posed, thoughtfulness you showed, way you communicated, phraseology that was very impactful. What did I like about my response and conduct? What did I not? Did I talk too fast? Did I get too tangential? Was I too esoteric? What can I be better at next time? What can I not do? And I think most people don't do that. They just go through life so rapidly and distortedly, they don't, and it's just a big haze. Yeah, it's a lack of intention. If you ask anybody, tell me today everything that happened, most people couldn't. Yeah. Well, listen, Jay, I've, there's there's so many things that, I, that I'd like to continue asking you. Maybe we can do one of these in person after this COVID stuff is all uh, sure. done and over with. Yeah, sure. um, but in an effort to be respectful of your time, I do want to move on here to the last segment. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Yeah, sure. What is a profession other than your own that you think would be fun to attempt? Uh, if I would discipline myself. I think running some kind of a hedge fund would be really interesting. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be and why? Probably Socrates. I really like uh, the Socratic method a lot. Yeah. How do you like to consume information? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Conversation. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. It's very undisciplined, unfortunately. <laughs> I get up sometimes at 6.30, sometimes at 7.30. I have coffee. I try not to, but I'm a little addicted to news, which is not healthy. I then review what I know I have to do. Then I review what I want to do. Then I review things that I've been thinking about, and then I try to put it in some semblance of priority, and then I try to make sure that I have a goal of something important that's uh, in the hierarchy of priorities that I have to accomplish that day. Then I check with my assistant because she gets up early and checks everything to see what new either opportunities or travails have happened. Then depending on whether I can get in the shower early enough or not, usually with COVID, it was always at home, but now I have a a really cool office right on the runway of an airport and I'm all by myself except for an assistant. Nobody comes in, so I come in now whenever I can, uh, when I can get myself into the shower early enough. And then I either write or consult or think or dissipate time. If I have time, I've started, I used to be when I was your age, 
in very good, maybe not physical shape, but cosmetic looking shape. And I used to do all kinds of intense things and I managed to ruin all my joints and I haven't been very agile working out and I have a very good wine cellar and a wife that is an epicure and she cooks magnificently and I've gained about 20 pounds since this started. So I'm starting to be trained again and I'm in such bad shape that I just do it stretches and I sweat. So I'm trying to get my diligence and my discipline up. And then I'm very blessed. I have a lot of kids that are adults from a lot of marriages and many of them are, have a big house. They're staying with us right now because they don't want to be in New York and San Francisco. And it's sort of pleasurable to go home. And we sit last night, we watched three seasons of Entourage until the early hours. <laughs> and I laughed at them. So it's sort of fun. And then I, you know, I have different people that I talk to it you know, that are just stimulating and or people that I care about that I want to connect with. You know, and I have a I have a person that keeps usually every day I'll find somebody on LinkedIn that looks interesting. Not somebody that I want to monetize, but just somebody that I think would be fun to talk to for five or ten minutes. And so I'll do that. I don't think I'm as disciplined and diligent as I would tell younger people watching this to be. But I've had my run at it. I was an animal of, of focus and discipline for about 35 years. I don't think I'm that much anymore. And I'm not saying it with pride. It's just clinical. I'm not. But I think that most people need to be and they need to make sure that they leverage up their time and their opportunity cost. Amazing, amazing advice. Once again, uh, next question. What is your go-to pump-up song, Jay? I used to like YMCA. When I had my 50th birthday, my wife brought the Cover Village people from Las Vegas and we had 150 friends and they each dressed like a village person. And I used to like YMCA. I like that. I also used to do seminars. And, and at the end of the seminars around the world, we would play Alice Cooper's Schools Out. Oh, nice. I, I'm stuck in the 70s and the 80s. I like that's, that music. There's a lot of good music that came out of the 70s and 80s. So that's, yeah, so uh, that's, that's I, mean, I like old, I'm old school. What is something that you are not very good at? I'm not organized. I'm terrible. I mean, I'm very blessed. Travis, that I have clients in technology because I don't turn my computer on. I have right now 13,000 emails that I don't know what to do with. I still pay $29 for an AOL account. I have a Gmail account. I'm a hoarder. I got papers everywhere. I lose track of everything. So, I mean, I would say that I'm blessed that I have enough strategic and marketing acuity to compensate for 95% of my flaws. (laughs) Nice. As we get everything wrapped up here, Jay, what is the best place for listeners to go connect with you? Where is the best place rather online? It depends on the intention. If they're an entrepreneur who wants to expand his or her paradigm, but really is not somebody who's capable or interested in engaging me, they can go to abraham.com and there's 800 hours of stuff we give away. They can go to jabraham.com com, which is different. It's got a very low end, easy entry, very affordable mentorship. If they want to talk to me, they can go to, I got a person they can go to Ashley, I got to write it down at callmark, C-A-L-L-M-A-R-X.com. If they just want to get used to my eclecticness, we have a podcast called The Ultimate Entrepreneur and it's very eclectic. It doesn't sell much of anything and it, it we don't promote it, but it's got 
people like Tony Robbins and I on, Damon and I, very interesting people, all kinds of eclectic. So a lot of different places, depending on what their goal is. Yeah, there you go. Well, if you are listening to this right now and you want to download more of Jay, which is highly recommended, especially, especially if you're an entrepreneur or a marketer, basically everything taught on the internet today about marketing stems from Jay or some of his teachings to somebody at some point along the road. So he is the master when it comes to all things marketing. So head over to abraham.com or jabraham.com. Or if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy listening to podcasts, then just search Jay Abraham in your favorite podcast listening app and uh, subscribe, download a couple episodes of his show. And I'm sure that you will be glad that you did. Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been an absolute treat to have you on. And I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. No, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. You're an impressive person. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.